How many feel? How many of you just feel blessed for just being in church today? You just feel good being here. And how many of you? How many of you glad it's football season starting up this weekend? I, I got a brother. I got two brothers. One's a pastor up in Fresno. He's preached here several times. Uh, David. He's seven years my junior. And then I've got another brother, who's a he's a prison chaplain. Now, we always thought he would end up in prison, but we never knew that he'd be a chaplain in a prison. But he's on the uh, east uh, side of the state of Arizona, on the, right on the border. I mean, he's in the middle of nowhere. This is a high security, uh, some of the worst criminals in the country are housed there at this prison that my brother is a chaplain. And uh, my brother... He recently had his 33rd year wedding anniversary. He's been married to this woman named Bernadette for 33 years. And uh, they went out and celebrated their anniversary uh, this last week. And uh, his wife asked him this question. She said, she said, do you love me more than football? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a loaded question. Um, but my brother said uh, in response, pro or college? That, that was his line. That's just the way my brother is. But uh, it is football season. I don't want you checking your fantasy uh, stats during church today, okay? Are you with me? Ladies, if you see your, your guy doing that, just take his phone away from him. Uh, and I just want to know, because it's football, how many, how many uh, cowboy fans, uh, cowboy fans, there's a few, there's a few. Most of them have moved back to Texas. But um, for all you Cowboy fans, I want you to know that you've not, you've not been in a Super Bowl for 26 years. I'm just saying. And uh, how many Raider fans do we have? We got a lot of Raider fans. Well, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news to you, but uh, you have not won a Super Bowl for 38 years. Now, I'm 63 years of age. And uh, the last time the Raiders won a Super Bowl, I was 25 years old. That's how long it's been. And I, I, I said all that to say this to you Cowboy fans and you Raider fans. It's probably going to be another depressing year for you. <laughs> I'm, I just want you to know. There's only two things I can think of that can possibly bring you happiness. One is to become a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. That's just number one, because you would be experiencing what it is to be a winner, okay? So just, just consider that. But the second thing I want to say is that sports are never going to truly bring you happiness inside. Shopping, money, vacations, uh, all the things that you think will bring you happiness do not bring happiness. There's only one thing that I know of that can really bring joy and really bring peace, and that's when you follow this book and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can make you happy. And the good thing is that if you follow, if you follow God's Word and God's principles, that you can be happy every single day, not once every 38 years. Now, we're looking, if you're a guest here, and we have a lot of guests, we've been looking at the sermon that Jesus preached. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7 is a sermon that Jesus preached. 
And so what we've been doing these last few weeks is we've been looking at the very beginning of that sermon. We're not going to look at all three chapters. We're just looking at the very, his opening statements of Jesus' sermon. This is red letter edition. These are his words. And he begins his sermon with this thing called the Beatitudes. And you might have heard of the Beatitudes. It kind of, that word just sounds like attitude. And we all need our attitude check from time to time. But this sermon is not about your attitude. Jesus begins this sermon by talking about eight things. There's eight Beatitudes. And these eight principles, if you'll live by them, you will have what he calls joy or happiness He says, blessed are those that, blessed are those that, blessed are those that. He begins his sermon going with these these eight beatitudes, and we've already looked at four of them. And it just so happens today begins the set of the last four. We're looking at beatitude number five. Now, we've already looked at blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We've looked at blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And last weekend, if you were here, we looked at the sermon or the verse, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Today, I want you to get your Bible, grab your sermon notes. We want to look at this fifth beatitude, which reads, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy. Now, again, we're talking about things that are going to truly bless you and bring you happiness that you can experience each and every day. I want to begin by what I have. I've got three major points. The first one is what we call mercy paraphrased. It's, it's difficult to explain mercy for several reasons, one of which is that there are so many other qualities that are like mercy, that are close to mercy, that have a hint of mercy, that are intertwined with mercy, but they're not mercy. So let's start by explaining what mercy isn't, because we don't want to confuse you. We want to just make this simple for everybody. Write this down. Mercy is not when you show kindness to a friend some thoughtful act done in the course of everyday life. You know, whether you're buying ice cream for one of your kids or you help someone clean out a a garage or you send a bouquet of flowers to a friend or you take out the neighbor's trash or you pour a cup of coffee for a coworker. That's not mercy, that's kindness, but it's not mercy. Uh, Secondly, write this down, mercy isn't showing compassion for the suffering. Many people connect mercy with compassion. Compassion is usually a response we feel towards those who are hurting. Like you might feel uh, compassion for those who are caught up in war zones or disaster areas. Or you see someone who's in need. Or you understand the need that the elderly have or the disenfranchised. And those feelings are all good, but those feelings are not mercy. Compassion is to recognize suffering that someone else is experiencing. You feel for that person. That's compassion. But mercy acts to alleviate the suffering. Mercy is the fruit of compassion. 
Whenever compassion acts to alleviate suffering, it becomes mercy. So mercy isn't just showing kindness. Mercy isn't just having compassion. What is mercy? Well, there's several ways to define it. Number one, mercy is when someone in a stronger position extends help to someone in a weaker position. It's when you extend or give. It can be compassion or love or support or forbearance to someone that perhaps has offended you, to someone who is subject to your power. That is showing mercy. Think of that Roman emperor as the gladiators are fighting, and right before the fatal blow, they look up at the emperor, and the emperor can either do this, which is to take his life, or he can do thumbs up, which means let him live for another day. That would be mercy. The 30th president of the United States was a man named Calvin Coolidge. Uh, there's a story about the early days of his presidency. He awoke one morning and found a burglar in his room. And Coolidge spoke up and asked the thief not to take his pocket watch because it contained an engraving that was important to him. And the thief agreed not to take the, to take the pocket watch. And so then Coolidge engaged the burglar in a quiet conversation and discovered that he was a college student that couldn't even afford his college tuition and, and uh, couldn't afford a, a ticket to get back, uh, back home. And uh, he, he was just broke. And so Coolidge, after talking to this, this, this thief, ended up giving him $32, even though the thief was there to take it, he ended up giving him the $32, and he said to the thief, I, I, I want you to pay this back. I'm going to give it to you, but I want you to pay it back to me. He said, okay. And then Coolidge said this, and by the way, this is kind of funny. He goes, go out the same way you came in so the Secret Service can't find you. <laughs> However you got, on, got in here. And the story goes that the young man eventually paid the loan back, and nobody got in trouble. That would be mercy, amen? Uh, now mercy, write this down, is foregoing an opportunity to take vengeance, to punish, or to humiliate someone who actually deserves such penalty. David Tim said we show mercy when we relent from anger and actually completely forgive someone rather than to extract a pound for pound of flesh from them. Most of us would gloat for an opportunity to get even or to take revenge, to humiliate someone who has mistreated us or who rubs us the wrong way. I heard this true story about a Romanian pastor named Richard Warmbrand who worked in the underground churches in Romania during the communist rule in the middle of the 20th century. He literally spent 14 years of his life in Romanian jails and labor camps because of his Christian faith. And Richard Warmbrand tells the story of a time where he personally shared a cell with another man by the name of John Stanescu, and both men were being held in a slave labor camp because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And in this labor camp, you were forbidden to even mention the name of Jesus. And one day, one of the other prisoners got caught talking about Jesus. And the warden that was in charge of this labor camp was a, was a he went by the title of Colonel Alban, 
And Curb, uh, Colonel Alban was a mean, angry man who regularly beat the prisoners. He rushed in and wanted to know who it was that was talking about Jesus. And no one spoke up. And so his anger boiled over. He threatened to flog everyone if someone did not come forward. No one stepped forward. And so Colonel Albin said, I'm going to start on one end of the jail, and I'm going to go down the entire jail cell. I'm going to systematically beat every man. And that's exactly what he did. And eventually he came and stood before, Jan, uh, uh, before uh, John Stanescu, and um, Stanescu looked him right in, the, in his eyes and said to the prison warden, he said, there is a God in heaven who will judge you one day. His defiance surely meant that he would be beaten to death that moment. And right when all this was going down, there was a commotion. And they looked over, and it was another one of the security guards coming over who spoke to the colonel and said, Sir, the communist generals have just stopped by, and they are requesting your immediate attention. And so he turned, he looked at John Stanescu, and he said, we will see each other soon, and he turns and he goes back to the, to the offices. And to everyone's surprise, the communist, the communist leaders were there to actually arrest the colonel, Colonel Alban, for other crimes that he had committed, so he must have been a really bad guy, and for punishment, they decided to throw him in to the, to the same jail block with the prisoners that he had been in charge of, that he had flogged so often. And as soon as they threw him in that prison, many of the inmates moved in to literally beat and lynch the former labor camp director. It was a death sentence for sure until one John Stanescu stepped in, covered him, shielded him, took most of the beatings himself, and literally saved the life of Colonel Alban that day. And when I hear that story, I have to ask, could we show such mercy? Could we step in to protect our enemies when we finally had the power to crush them? So that's one element of what it means to be merciful. But let me give you the primary meaning. I want you to write this down. The third and primary meaning of mercy is, is when we mimic God and give grace to those who do not deserve grace. To be merciful is to be like God. It was in Exodus chapter 34 when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Now you know that the people of God, uh, after they received the commandments, they immediately began breaking them. And Moses had to go back up that, that mountain a second time. The Bible says that no one can stand in the presence of God. And yet Moses went up on that mountain and he was in the presence of God and he was receiving those commandments. And the Bible proclaims these words speaking about God. The Lord, the Lord, the merciful and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness. Oh, our God is a merciful God. Our God is a gracious God. Don't ever forget that God has graced you 10,000 times. God has been gracious to you a million times. 
God has shown his faithfulness to you uh, that is proven by your very existence here today. You wouldn't be here without his faithfulness. God has not just been kind to you. God has not just shown compassion to you. God has been merciful to you day in and day out. None of us deserve his grace, and yet he pours it out upon us each and every day. I want to next give you what I call the, the picture of mercy. I want to show you actually a picture of mercy, if you will. I want you to take your Bibles and turn quickly to Luke chapter 10. Turn over to, you're in Matthew, go, go over to Luke chapter 10. One of the most, really one of the most important stories in, in the whole Bible. Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus in this story is actually literally talking to a lawyer. Imagine that. I think all lawyers should talk to Jesus, don't you? How many, how many think all lawyers should just have a little talk with Jesus? And the lawyer, you know, he asked Jesus a question in, in Luke chapter 10. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I as a lawyer How, how, how can I, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And I would say, I don't care what your profession is, every single man, woman in this room should be asking Jesus, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And if you're going to ask someone, what do I need to do to go to heaven, Jesus is the person to ask. Well, Jesus answers the question with the question. You know, he wants you to think on your own two feet. The lawyer says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked the lawyer, well, how do you read the scriptures? In other words, what does the Bible say? And I just want to put this in there that anytime anybody asks you a question about anything in this world, you ought to answer just this way Jesus did. Don't, don't just tell them everything you think. You should just say, what does the Bible say about this? Because the Bible has the answer to all of life's greatest issues. So the lawyer comes to Jesus he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, Mr. Lawyer, big shot lawyer, they pay you a lot. What, how, how do you read the scriptures? What's the Bible say? And the lawyer says, well, here's how I read it. According to how I read it, I've got to do two things. One is to love the Lord God with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind. And then he said, secondly, I, as I read the scriptures, that in order for me to go to heaven, I got to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, correct. You answered correctly. Now, you'd think that'd be the end of the story, but lawyers being lawyers, lawyers always ask questions so they can find a loophole. Isn't that what lawyers do? Looking for that loophole? So the lawyer comes in, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, how do you read the scriptures? He says, well, the way I read the scriptures is to love the Lord your God with my heart, my soul, my strength, my mind, and secondly, to let, love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus said, correct. And the lawyer said, I got one more question. He said, who, who technically, if I got to love my neighbor, who technically is my neighbor? Is it the good neighbor that takes my trash out for me on vacation or is it my bad neighbor whose dog stays up and barks all night long and I can never sleep? 
Is it the person that lives literally next door? Or do I have to love everybody on the block? Who technically is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story to answer that question. It's about a man, a Jewish man, who's going from Jerusalem over to Jericho. It's kind of like if someone was going to walk here and go to Simi Valley, you'd go up and over the Santa Susana Pass. The difference is that road would have been a lot narrower and far more dangerous and taken a lot longer. It was real windy and curvy. It went up and down through a canyon. You, there's a road there today you can take, and you'll see it's just this windy road. And it was a perfect place to be robbed, mugged, or killed. And sure enough, the man, as he was on his way to Jericho, he was uh, a robber, a thief, came and beat the man half to death, took all his clothes, took all of his belongings, and left him there on the side of the road to die. He's literally laying on the Santa Susana Pass, and he's half dead, he's naked, he's going to die. And Jesus says, uh, there was a priest, which is a religious man, a Jewish religious man, was walking by, a priest looked over and saw the man and just kept walking. And then Jesus said, uh, there was a Levite, that's also a religious man, uh, a Levite walked by, he saw the man laying there, and he just walked on by. And then Jesus said, there was this third fellow, he was a Samaritan. Now, if you know the context, uh, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. That's going to surprise some of you. They had racial issues back in those days. That's a big part of this story. But here's what Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 33, that a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. The priest and Levite had walked on by, but when he saw him, the, when the Samaritan saw him, he, he took pity on him, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He didn't have someone else do it. He did it. He poured on oil, which was expensive back in those days, and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said to the innkeeper, hey, I, I, I'm on a business trip and I'm, I won't be back for a few days, but here's two silver coins. I want you as the innkeeper to look after him, he said. And when I return, I'm coming back the same way. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus turns to the lawyer and he asks this question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, go and what? Do likewise. Those are Jesus' words to everyone here in this room today. Go and do likewise. I want you to write this down. There's always three classes of people. One are the beater uppers. These are the people that are gonna rob you, steal from you, kill you, destroy you. These are the robbers, the thieves, the pornographers, the evildoers, the abusers, the drug traffickers, the drug dealers, the pimps. These are the beater uppers. But there's a second class of people. Those are the passer uppers. 
Those are folks who see what's going on and just walk on by like the priest and the Levite. They can be religious folks. They can be people whose names are on the church rolls. They're people who see the problem that do nothing to fix the problem. We see it, but we don't really want to get involved, so we just walk on by. But then there's that third group of people, the lifter-uppers, folks who stop and serve and forgive who sacrifice to help others, even towards people who have mistreated you in the past. We give mercy. The story of the Good Samaritan is a story of a great picture of what it means to be merciful. Read that text over and over again and go and do likewise. And then we come to the third point, which is mercy perfected. Everybody say the word perfected. Now go back and look at that verse in Matthew 5, verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown, what? Mercy. I just want to say this. You can't do that. that. That is step two. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's step two. You can't do step two until, first of all, you understand step one. And step one, write this down. We don't give mercy just to get mercy. We give mercy because we have received mercy. That's why people skip over this. They don't really understand this verse. And this is the most important thing you need to know, is that you cannot give what you do not have. In order to give mercy, you have to first have received mercy. And who is it that shows us the most mercy? Why, it's God. And I want to say something that's going to surprise some of you. It's going to shock some of you. Some of you are going to disagree with me, but hear me out. God is not a fair God. There's nothing fair about God. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Have you ever cried out in the middle of the night, it's not fair, God? You lose your job, you lose a mate, you lose a friend. You lose a son, you lose money, you lose your health. What do we do? We cry out to God. We say, God, is not fair. I would say to you that life is not fair. And you need to be thankful that God is not fair. Because, hear me out, if God was fair, then we would all get what we deserve. Mm-hmm. You better be careful what you wish for. The Bible says that we're all sinners, that we've all broken the law, that we've all, we all deserve the wages of our sins, of the wages of our transgressions is death. But God is a God who is rich in mercy, and he gives us not what we deserve. He gives us what we need. Mm-hmm. The psalmist cried out in Psalm 51, verse 1. He said, have mercy. He said, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. He doesn't say, be fair. He doesn't say, his prayer is not, oh, God, please be fair. No, no, his prayer is, God, have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Don't hold me guilty for those transgressions. I mean, if we got what we deserve, God would just zap us all into hell right now. 
You say, well, how does this work? Well, Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5 explains this to us. It says, God who is rich. Oh, God is rich. The God I serve is rich. But he's rich in mercy. And he made all of us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead, we're like that guy laying on the side of the road, half dead, half beaten. We're dead. But even while we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive with Christ. It is by his grace that we have been saved. In God's mercy, he acted. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his forgiveness. But because he's, he's rich in mercy, he pours those things in our life. Then you come to step two. Once you realize all that God has done for you, then you share that that, that mercy with others. We, and then we gain, we gain even more mercy when we give the mercy that we have received from God away. It is the circle of life, but it's not the circle of life, it's the circle of mercy. Does anybody owe you money? Is there anybody out there that actually owes you money? I mean, I know people that owe me money. I've got a list here, right here. No. <laughs> Has anyone ever offended you? And, and, and right now you're here in church on 9-11 weekend and you're holding a grudge against somebody? There's somebody along the road that has hurt you that either literally or physically or emotionally as we prepare to close. You're not just supposed to give kindness. You're not supposed to just be compassionate. You are to walk giving mercy to those around you. Stop and serve and bless and forgive. It will result in your life being blessed with even more mercy. Oh, the world in which we live would look so much different if you and I would just give mercy to people who don't look like you, people that have a different of, of view on being vaccinated than you, people who live in a different zip code than you, people who have a different political view than you, people who have cats. <laughs> Amen? Oh, you would bless those around you. You will bless those around you, but you are actually the ones who will be blessed. Uh, can someone get Michiko out here for me? Here she is, give her a hand. I, I close with this story, it's a true story about a little boy who every Sunday his dad took him to church. And if you're a dad here today, you should be taking your children to church every Sunday. Every Sunday. Uh, raise your hand if you, have, if, you have, if you have small children, if you have small children, raise your hand real high. Let me tell you something. Everything in this world right now is designed to try to lead your child down a wrong path. Everything. But the church and you as a father or leader of your household, bring that child to church. Get them plugged into the youth ministry because we exist to lead that child down the right path towards the things of God, amen? So this little boy, his dad, when he was just growing up, every day, every Sunday, his dad, on the way to church, he would take a comb 
He must have had hair. And he would wrap that comb in a red bandana, stick it in his pocket, and take, take the kids to church. And this boy saw this every Sunday. And the boy fell in love with that red bandana. And when he was six years old, six, his dad gave him that red bandana. And everywhere he went, that little six-year-old boy had that red bandana. You couldn't take it away from him. When he was seven, when he was eight, when he was nine, he'd take it to school, he'd get on his bike, that red bandana was sticking out his back pocket, riding his bike down the street. When he went to high school, he played sports, playing high school sports. He had that red bandana in a pocket, or it was tied around his head. That boy would not leave that red bandana. Strangest thing you ever saw. His name was Wells. Everybody say Wells. His last name was Crowther, Crowther, Wells Crowther. He eventually became a stock trader and he was on the 104th floor of the World Trade Center South Tower. And on that day, on September 11th, 20 years ago, when UA Flight 175 was flown into the South Tower cutting a fatal swath between the 78th and 85th floor. Up on that 104th floor was Wells Crowther, and he had that red bandana with him. Several floors below, there was a woman named Lynn Young. She was blown back by the explosion. As she tried to gain focus, she couldn't see because her glasses were covered in blood. She cleaned her glasses so she could see, and all around her was the carnage of mangled bodies. She thought she was going to die. Then she saw coming through the dust and through the debris a young man with a red bandana. And he said, I found the stairs. Follow me. And Wells Crother led Lynn and a few others down 17 flights of stairs to a group of firefighters who would then lead that group of people down another 20 flights to working elevators to get people out of that building. Wells Crowther, instead of going down the next 20 and getting the elevator, he goes with his red bandana, he puts it in front of his face, and over his nose so he can breathe, and he walks back up 17 flights of stairs. Most of us can't walk up two. The prayer tower's three. He goes back up 17 flights. He finds another group of people that are trying to get out of that building. And he stands and he cries out, everyone who can stand, stand. And if you can help others, do. And he led a second group down those 17 flights of stairs, again to another waiting group of firefighters who would take them down another 20 flights and get them on working elevators. But Wells Crother did not go down with that second group. He went back up the th next time, back up those stairs to help other people. And the building collapsed. And he never made it out. 
And although he's gone, his bandana is not because it's now a part of the 9-11 Museum in New York City. That red bandana has become a symbol of heroism and self-sacrifice. You see those 3,000 flags outside? If you go to the very main entrance as you're walking into the facility, as you walk into the main entrance, his flag is the first flag on the right. It's a real story of a real man with a red bandana who gave his life to help other people. It's a touching story. They say he himself helped save the lives of 12 people. But I want to show you another symbol of heroism sacrifice. Look at this, look at this symbol. This is the cross where God looked down on humanity, not just 12 people, but he looked down on all of us. And on that cross, Jesus bled, he bled. And that blood almost formed a river at the foot of the cross that flows to anyone who will receive him, who will accept him. God in his mercy, in his mercy, in his grace, he loved us even though we were sinners. Christ died for us. God through Christ forgave us all of our sins having canceled the written code that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to that cross. An emblem of mercy. Let's stand and bow our heads for just a word of prayer. Off to my left are some doors. If you're here today, you need to be baptized. That water is warm. Woo! We might even turn on the jacuzzi jets for you. I don't know. But if you have a prayer request, if you have a, you've never become a Christian or you're just empty and hurting today and you need to talk to someone, we're here for you. Let's bow our heads for just a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, thank you for today and again for this weekend. It, it is a sobering weekend. How quickly life can change. How fragile life can be. But Lord, this, this beatitude, we just read over it so quickly when we're reading through the Bible that I really want us to just stop for just a moment and think about how merciful God has been to us to even give us this day of life. And to think about the fact that we were so far beneath you that you're the great God, omnipotent, omnipresent God, and that Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to this earth and died upon that cross, not to save 12 of us, but to save all of us that that cross is where he bled, where he paid the atonement. And God, in your grace, you just did that for us. We did, there's nothing we did to deserve that. Thank you for being a gracious God. Thank you for being a merciful God. And help us to take all of that that you've put within us and to look for those in this city. People that we otherwise wouldn't even give perhaps the time of day but we'll take that mercy and grace, God, that you've shown us, and we will pour it into those around us, even those who've offended us or mistreated us. God, not only will that person be blessed, but ultimately we will even have more mercy in our life. 
which we're so desperate in need of. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl who's here. And I pray you'd bring us back safely next week as we continue this series through the Beatitudes. And next week, Lord, we're going to be talking about being pure in heart. I don't know of another message we need more than a sermon on being pure in heart. Bring us back safely, God, we ask. In your sweet name we pray. And all God's people said.